الحمد لله الحمد لله أولا وآخرا الحمد لله في الأولى وفي الآخرة الحمد لله في السراء والحمد لله في الضراء والحمد لله على كل حال وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له إن الحكم إلا لله أمر ألا تعبدوا إلا إياه ذلك الدين القيم وأشهد أن سيدنا وإمامنا وأميرنا ومولانا محمد صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم عبده ورسوله وما كان الله ليعذبهم وأنت فيهم وما كان الله معذبهم وهم يستغفرون ما يطع الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا يضل أبدا ومن يعصي الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا يهدى أبدا ومن يتوكل على الله فإن الله على كل شيء قدير أما بعد أيها المؤمنون We've been covering in the past khutbas some of the information and the misinformation that has put the Muslims in a type of trance for which, out of which they cannot think about the vital matters that are included in the wahi from Allah and in the balagh from his prophet. So Muslims, generally speaking, concentrate their khutbas, their lessons, their lectures and their sermons, they concentrate them on issues that have to do with the individual, the individual in his house, the individual in his bathroom, the individual in his or her bedroom, etc., etc. And they leave out the issues such as al-adil, a Qur'anic word, a Qur'anic concept, a Qur'anic terminology, and a Qur'anic objective. Inna allaha ya'muru bil-adil. They leave out such an issue as qist. And because they leave, leave these issues out, they've become, the Muslim public by and large has become so much lacking in information that they can't distinguish between Al-Adil and Al-Qist. This is where we are in the real world. Why can't we begin to outgrow and to go beyond this concentration of the Muslim presentations on issues of 
rites and rituals. Rites here is R-I-T-S, not R-I-G-H-T-S. Or why can't we go from R-I-T-S to R-I-G-H-T-S? Why can't we make that transition? The concepts in the Qur'an and in the Prophet's teachings, the concepts that should grab our attention and imagination have to do with such issues as equality. We've had historical experiences and historical lessons that should be enough for us to mature and begin to speak about the real issues. Like like these masajid that all are around the place, they speak about in a monotonous way because they keep on repeating it with different words. But it all centers around the Islamic sha'ar. Obviously, Islamic Sha'ar are an integral part of Islam. No one's denying that. But to become the with-all and talk-all and do-all, we've basically done away with maybe 90% of our Islam. The Prophet of Allah, may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him, says, إِنَّمَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ إِخْوَةً But committed Muslims are brethren. They're brothers of each other. The Prophet of Allah and all of these are consensual hadiths. The Prophet of Allah in Hajjatul Wada', the farewell address in Mecca during the time of Hajj, he said, لا فضل لعربي على أعجمي ولا لأعجمي على عربي ولا لأبيض على أسود ولا لأسود على أبيض there's no superiority for an Arab over a non-Arab nor for a non-Arab over an Arab nor for a white over a black nor for a black over a white except for the element of taqwa in in any of these that's how we measure people now we've had our history that now because of the dynastic monopoly of islamic information and education the history that we've had throughout these 14th centuries have come down to us with lines of division there are fault lines among the Muslims and still in the khutbas on Fridays and in seminars and in conferences and almost wherever you go we deal with petty information and that petty information that we've covered in the past months in I don't know how many khutbas are supposed to define who the who a Muslim is and who a Muslim is not. Let us take one of the issues, one of the issues that it seems like no one wants to speak about. When we have, when we have our serious misunderstandings that result in serious divisions, why can't we begin? with the information that Allah and His Prophet have imparted to us, why can't we take this information, begin to look at the roots of these divisions? What's wrong? You don't have a mind of your own, you can't think? Allah didn't present us present us and the world with information that is dislocated and doesn't belong to the human mind. That's where it belongs. It belongs in our mind. So one of the issues that you will not hear about and no one will speak about and we have to sooner rather than later begin to address 
is the issue of Islamic equality. And I don't mean Islamic equality in the family. And I'm not speaking about Islamic equality in the neighborhood. I'm speaking about Islamic equality when it comes to the highest decision-making offices in the land. <clears throat> to dig into this issue further, we find that the beginning, the absolute beginning of a type of schism in the Muslim public was represented by those who call themselves or were called depending on the history books I don't want to take sides in this issue this is left up, up to us to think about and we can't think about it if no one's bringing it to our attention and we ourselves are not motivated to take on the issue There is a group of people called Al-Khawarij and they had their arguments with the other Muslims. So what if we had the, now I'm, when I speak about a historical issue I mean by that to focus on a contemporary issue. We're not here just to turn the pages of history and collect a little information and then nothing relates to the real world around us. That's not what we're meant for. So what is their argument? To try to summarize in a short khutbah, what is their argument? How did this type of thought germinate among the Muslims? We can trace it back to, this is their argument, I'm trying to present their point of view. I'm not saying that this is the final word on the subject, and please don't draw that conclusion. They said that the first six years of the reign of the third ruler of the Muslims, Uthman ibn Affan, the first six years they have no critique of they don't they, they have no serious criticism of but then the second six years of his rule things began to go very wrong then when it comes to an imam ali they agree with everything he said said and did up to the arbitration when Imam Ali السلام, agreed that one representative from his side and one representative, representative from his off, opposite side sit down and arbitrate this whole issue. From Imam's side, Abu Musa al-Ash'ari became the arbiter and from Muawiyah's side, Amr ibn al-As became the arbiter. They said this, from here on, just like they didn't agree with Uthman in his last six years of rule, they didn't agree with Imam Ali in everything or anything he did after the arbitration, after Safin. They didn't agree. They had, now, why... Up until now, I'm going to go into a little more further details, but up until now, why is not this common knowledge among the Muslims? An issue we will speak about, not get upset about or tense about, argumentative, and then turn hostile. No, this is not what is meant here. What is meant is to look at whether there are merits or demerits in this mentality that began... 14 centuries ago and still is detected among us some people don't know that they are khawarij when they express themselves on certain ideas most of these initially came from a tribe called tamim 
And they summarize their quote-unquote ideology by a sentence, لا حكم إلا لله There is no governance except that of Allah's. They centered themselves in a town not far from Al-Kufa called Harura. That's why some historians or writers refer to them as Al-Haruriya. After they broke from Al-Imam Ali, they were on his side. They were fighting in Safin on his side. After they broke with them, Al-Imam Ali approached them, spoke to them, convinced them, and many of them returned to the side of Al-Imam Ali. They were also known as Al-Muhakkima. That's in reference to that statement, La hukma illa lillah. Only Allah rules. It's another way of translating it or understanding it. But then as the details began to emerge, of they were, they were equally hostile, and I use the word hostile here deliberately, they were equally hostile to Imam Ali and Muawiyah and Amr ibn al-As. They were also called Ashura. those who bartered or exchanged or sold themselves to Allah. That's taken from the ayah in the Qur'an, وَمَنْ يَشْرِي نَفْسَهُ إِبْتِغَاءَ مَرْضَاتِ But they didn't maintain strictly an ideological position. They took this point of view are there of theirs in a violent direction so they began to oppose in a violent way everyone who disagreed with them and in their opposition they they put together opinions that were equally hostile to Uthman and al-imam ali One of the issues in history that they are very well known for is they met a Muslim and they asked him. It's like they had a roadblock. In today's world, they had a roadblock. And some Muslim was passing by. They asked him certain questions about Uthman, about Imam Ali and and this Muslim, his name is Abdullah ibn Khabbab. He had his wife with him. And when they realized that he doesn't agree with them, they killed him and his wife in cold blood just because their agreement, their minds did not share the same agreement. And this, as I said, we're not speaking history strictly. We're speaking about also today's real human condition in Muslim territories. I don't want to skip from history to now, break, and and speak about the same individuals and the same type of people who have the same mentality. They have different names, they have maybe different colors or different languages, whatever the case is, but they have the same mentality. So, that roadblock, they stopped a Christian. And they asked him his opinions. And the Christian gave them the answer that I'm a Christian. I really am not concerned with the, these whole issues of Uthman and Ali and Muawiyah. And they, don't, don't get me involved. So they said, you can keep on going. Because they said they are preserving the dhimma, the conscience response, conscious and conscientious responsibility of Rasulullah. 
Their words. Same thing in today's world. Something new. But why did it why does it hit us in the face when we see these types of things? The blood in front of our own eyes, and we didn't learn from our own experiences. These are Muslims, regardless of what they say. Allah will take them to account when that time comes in Al Akhirah. But at the end of the day, they are Muslims. But this is how they behave, and that's what they do. At the beginning, Al Imam Ali, his, his position towards them was he will not take them on. In, a, in combat fashion unless they begin hostilities against him and those who are with him. But when they, they began to establish a track record of violence and terrorism, that's when they were taken on. And the battle that is very well known in history is the battle of An-Nahrawan, where th- these, quote-unquote, whether you want to call them Al-Haruriya, Al-Shura, Al-Muhakkima, Al-Khawarij. They're known by all of these titles. Whatever, I don't want to get into these details. But they were defeated there. And their um, their Amir, their commander, was killed. After that, they decided that they want to kill three individuals. Al-Imam Ali, Muawiyah, and Amr ibn al-As. They succeeded in killing one of the three. Part of our history, brothers and sisters, this is nothing new. It should be, this type of information should be elementary information to every Muslim. I shouldn't be forced to speak about this in a khutbah. But it's like hands off. No one wants to speak about why. What's wrong with you? You don't have confidence in the information that Allah and His Prophet have given to you? Or you're slipping on the mental scale? What is it? Why don't you want why don't we want to learn from our history, from our past, from our mistakes? Why? Then they turned their warfare against Muawiyah and the Umawis. And they were known for what we call today in our world guerrilla warfare. That's how they dealt with Bani Umayyah. Guerrilla warfare. They were, they were known for their surprise attacks and they were skilled at retreating from their attacks, withdrawing from such guerrilla operations. They tried to win over Ibn Zubayr. It was, it's, it's interesting if you want to go more information, dig into this. The give and take between the two sides makes for a very interesting uh, point. Now the issue that they bring up, they believe in this. By the way, at the beginning of their history, there were eight major parties. They weren't all of one mindset. One of their parties, or one of their schools of thought, was it was permissible to kill a pregnant woman who belongs to the enemy because the child that was going to be born from that pregnant woman is going to become an enemy. And some people, you know, they think, how do we get these terrorists in our time? Where do they come from? They didn't pop up from nowhere. They popped up from the fact that we did not wrestle with this issue in 14 centuries. To weed out their merits from their their vices from their virtues. They weren't all bad. They had some ideas that are very appealing. 
During that time, some places in the Muslim realm, they were divided into being pro-Hashimis or pro-Umawis. And there's details in all of this. But when they saw this division, they said, why are Muslims divided like this? The Prophet said, we are all equal. Anyone can become the leader of the Muslims if he or she has the qualifications. This is not a monarchy. Islam is not a monarchy. It doesn't go from father to son automatically. If they qualify, they lead. If they don't qualify, they don't lead. This egalitarian presentation still is not dealt with today. Why? Why can't we just take what they said, look at it, place it in light of what Allah and His Prophet say, and deal with it? Instead of this becoming a problem that erupts, just like it has done in the past decade. It erupted among us, and we are still living the deadly consequences of it. So they said anyone can become the leader of the Muslims. In that statement of equality, why can't some Muslims deal with it? With the information they have. Are we not all equal? Are we not all presented with the same qualities and potentials as everyone else? But this issue, because it went unnoticed in our history up until now even when we are dying because of it no one wants to speak about it no 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 don't speak about that why can't we speak about it? it says oh this is going to become an issue of division why is it going to become an issue of division why does it become a lesson for progress why do you assume that's going to become an issue of division? if it be, if someone wants to speak about these issues and gets very emotional we stop finished we don't when you get when your emotions override your mind, we just stop. There's nothing to speak about any longer. But that presumes that we are emotionally intoxicated. We can't think. That's what that means. If you want to speak, you don't want to speak about this issue, that means you have a lesser mind and you have more agitation in you. That's not who we are. I don't know that we are like that. Our issue is ignorance. This information doesn't circulate. This is not common knowledge among the Muslims. Why? And then to top this all off, remember they killed the, this type, these types of individuals who were with Imam Ali for many years. They were the ones who killed him. And what did he say concerning these types of people? Because he was dealing with internal threats, just like these. And he was dealing with the threat of those who, Muawiyah and his types, who stole Islamic governance. Dealing with these two types of people. What did he say? He, when he gave this, in this statement, all Muslims agree that he said, I'm not talking here, you know, some statement taken from some minority opinion or something like that. He said words that should ring in the bell of every Muslim, ring a bell in the mind of every Muslim nowadays. He said, لَيْسَ مَنْ طَلَبَ الْحَقَّ فَأَخْطَأَهُ كَمَنْ طَلَبَ الْبَاطِلَ فَأَصَابَهُ What does this mean? It means you can't equate people who seek al-haq but didn't find the right way to get there with people who are seeking al-batil and found a right way to get there. What he's speaking about is these khawarij who killed him. They are the ones who are seeking the haq but just don't have the right way to get there. You can't equate them with the Umawis who are seeking al-Batil and they knew exactly how to get there. 
in today's world, in our Muslim minds today, there are people who, you know, they, they respect Al Imam Ali, they honor Al Imam Ali, they pretend to speak on behalf of Al Imam Ali. If if they put this consensual statement of his in the context of our time, what we are doing today, what we are seeing, what is being done to us in the world, they would disagree with them. Say, what are you saying? How can this be? But that's the truth of the matter. There are parties, there are power structures, there are organizations that are seeking the truth and the haq and justice, but going in the wrong way. It's not the way to get there, he's telling them. And there are those who, they're not considered the truth at all. They have their selfish objectives and they want to get there and they know exactly how to get there. And we can't equate the two with each other. But many of us flip this around or many of us are ignorant of this all the time. I'll end by giving a practical example of what I mean. There are Islamic movements in today's world. I don't want to name them. You you, you have, inshallah, I guess, being here for all of these years, you should have enough information to know what is meant. There are Islam, when I say there are Islamic movements in the world today that are seeking al-haqq, but they don't know how to get there. They're going in every other way except the way that gets them there. How do you equate them with those who just want to hang on to power. There are governments in today's world that want to hang on to power. And they'll blow everyone in their, in their way if anyone, any organization, individual or even country decides that it does not want this course to al-haq. أقول قولي هذا وأستغفر الله لي ولكم ادعوه سبحانه وأنتم على يقين بالإجابة وتوبوا إلى الله إن الله تواب رحيم الحمد لله الذي هدى وصلى الله وسلم على سيدنا المصطفى وعلى آله وصحبه أولي النهى وَأُولِي التُّقَى As a sample, the first khutbah just a few minutes ago being a sample of how we should have enough moral courage to go into the areas that have divided us and continue to divide us we look at today's real world of course the mind that cannot look at the divisions of the Muslims 14 centuries ago, obviously it's not going to be able to look at what is happening in today's divisions among the Muslims. We have this Umawi, this Neo-Umawi monarchy in the Arabian Peninsula. And just Yesterday or the day before, the Attorney General's office in that, whatever that means in that monarchy, confessed that the body of one of their citizens was chopped up in their consulate in Istanbul. This is murder. Muslims are not supposed to speak about murder. This is a crime. Muslims are not supposed to speak about crimes? That's how they want to dumb us down. You can't speak about murder. You can't speak about crimes. So they said that there are, sometimes they say 17, sometimes they say 18 individuals who are implicated in this crime. 
And they said they identified five of them who they are going to put on trial and execute. And one of those five is the person, the first person we saw in the media besides the, their ambassador at the time here in Washington, D.C., who is currently the foreign minister, that face was all over the media when they launched their war on Yemen. His name is Ahmed Asiri. This Ahmed Asiri has African features. When they launched their war against the poor and innocent people in Yemen, they flagged him all over the place. It wasn't by chance. Racism is an issue. And they used racism to try to win over those who live in a racist mentality in their war against Yemen. Show us the victims of that war. Most of them have African features. No, they want to show you the face of one individual who has African features so that they can win public opinion from those who have are victims of racism and they don't want to show us the tens of thousands who have been killed in that war the majority of whom look like Mr. Al-Asiri and it's easy for them to do away Mr. Al-Asiri because he doesn't come from their clan he comes from Asiri he's not from Najd I can do away with him he's the fall guy MBS is supposed to be chopped according to their execution method his head should be chopped in chop chop square but no they take a fall guy and will you see you watch keep your eyes open are you going to see the execution of a person looking like an African in chop chop square they might even try to find a look-alike who, who knows if he's going to be executed if they say he's going to be executed who knows they brought a look-alike for Khashoggi himself they brought someone who looked like him they gave him Khashoggi's clothes and they showed that he was leaving the consulate to try to lie and fool public opinion saying that he left the consulate and we don't know where he went he just disappeared don't hold us accountable for that they were lying Muslims are not supposed to realize who the liars are this regime in the Arabian Peninsula ruled by a Saudi family is expelling the Rohingya Muslims who made their way there because they were expelled from their homes and their country in Myanmar or Burma. Now, who gives the right to these rulers to expel Muslims from the land of the Prophet? This is supposed to be hush-hush. No one is supposed to think about what they are doing. And then the, the ministerial personality in the Israeli colonizing state in the past week says we should improve our relationships, diplomatic, economic, political, social, intelligence, all these relationships with these Gulf and Arabian Peninsula nation states. Yeah, come on. Let, let's see who you truly are. We know who the Israelis are, in fact. But those who were behind, hiding behind secret meetings, confidential get-togethers. Come on. Let, those who haven't seen it yet, let them see what is happening in the real world. And then... The, for, the Secretary of State here in the United States discusses with the Foreign Minister of Qatar expanding the Udaid 
military base in Adoha, in Qatar. What's all that about? We need more militarization of a holy land? Or we need more spiritualization and peace in the holy land? And then the Washington Post and here the Washington mouthpieces are beginning to call for the prosecution of those 17 or 18 individuals who have the blood of an innocent human being on their hands. And then in the past week, the U.S. says it's going to stop refueling in mid-air the warplanes that are bombing Yemen. One report says that the casualties in Yemen, you may have realized, no one is any longer counting the casualties in Yemen. But one informed source says over a hundred thousand Yemenis have been killed. And this is done by those who say that they are the custodians of the two harams. The previous Saudi ambassador in Washington, D.C., Turkil Faisal, who was head of their intelligence services for a good two decades. Harvard University withdrew an invitation to have him speak there. Maybe the Saudis should learn from Henry Kissinger, who said something to the effect, I don't know the exact words, but the general meaning is, it is dangerous to be an enemy of the U.S., but it is deadly to be a friend of the U.S. I didn't say that. Someone's going to come and say, well, it's Henry Kissinger who said that. Go and speak to him. I know some people are listening to this khutbah. They come from different backgrounds, but we're just raising the mirror. That's all we're doing. Look at the mirror and look at who is saying what in this mirror and then there's some unconfirmed reports that the so-called president of Yemen who's living in exile in in Saudi Arabia is clinically dead I don't know whether this is going to be confirmed or not and then we have the ambassadors this is the information Muslim a Muslim mind from the Masajid on the Manabir are not permitted to speak about these issues. Why do we have at a time when the Israelis are bombing and killing hundreds of Muslims, hundreds of Palestinians in Gaza, Muslims and Christians? I don't know of any Jew who's living in Gaza, only know majority Muslims, minority Christians. Why, at the same time, the same week that that is happening, you have two ambassadors, one of them from Jordan, the other one from Egypt, presenting their credentials to the president of the Israeli colonizers. We're not supposed to see that? We're supposed to be blind to the facts? And then there is, Washington is studying the possibility of extraditing Fathullah Gulen back to Turkey. I don't know, is there some behind the scenes uh, negotiations going on that they want to release this person who has been living here in the United States when his types were engineering a coup in Turkey a couple of years ago? Is the, is, the, is the United States so concerned with BS, MBS, they're so concerned with him that they are making a deal with the Turks that if we send you Fathullah Gulen, if we send him back to you, don't speak any more about the information and the facts you have concerning the chopping up of the body of a journalist working for the Washington Post. 
There are some entrepreneurs in Turkey who are thinking about converting the Saudi consulate into a type of museum for Khashoggi and journalists because the, the, the Saudi government said it wants to relocate its, its consulate, doesn't want that same place as its consulate any longer. The crime is catching up with them as it should. What do you say if, if, if the news is telling us, true or not, it was in the news, that a, an Israeli plane landed in Pakistan? Here's once again a test. You who are governing in Pakistan, are you people of principle or are you people of just diplomacy and the national interest? Who are you? Things like this will bring your true character out. And then this attack. The Israelis sent a secret mission into Gaza. There was an exchange of fire. And then all of that resulted in Netanyahu, who was in Europe, cutting off his visit to Europe and delaying some of his other schedule. What are they doing now? Planning war in Gaza? And if they're planning that war, we can't think that they are planning a war? It's haram for us to think in this area? So what happens as a result of that? Their war minister, Lieberman, resigns. And they have another minister of immigration. She's a lady. She also resigns. And they're now talking about early elections. Why? Because the Muslims had enough of what it takes to stand up to their, to the Israeli aggression. The Qatari ambassador went to Gaza and he was pelted with snow, stones. They began throwing stones at him. He brought $15 million with him to pay the salaries of some of the employees in Gaza. Suppose there's a $90 million allocation to pay these people, done on behalf of the Israelis. And alhamdulillah, the Palestinians begin to understand this. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back relationship between Tel Aviv and the rulers in the Arabian Peninsula. A Jewish Tunisian becomes a minister in Tunis, in Tunisia. No one speaks about this. Why? Because Muslims are fanatics, Muslims are terrorists. Not supposed to be something like that happening. And then to top all of this off, We have France, who is willing to accept the Pakistani Christian lady, who was accused of blasphemy, but was cleared by the court, we are told in the media, and she's looking for a land where she can live with a free conscience. Why, why aren't Muslim lands a place for a free conscience? If you, if you are serious about the matter, you can trace it all the way back as we have been doing in these khutbas. And finally, a Kuwaiti has inflamed the internet, social media, because he ate some steak or some meat that was covered with gold. How are we supposed to think about this? Millions of Muslims are going to die in the coming months in Yemen, in particular, other places, many other places. And we have rulers and we have wealthy persons acting the way they are acting, from those who are killing with their warfare to those who are squandering their wealth and eating meat with gold on it. And he argues he has the right to do that. Why interfere with him? That's his right. Is this the brotherhood of Islam? Can we detect this attitude in the book of Allah? 
and in the lifetime of the Prophet, Allahumma inna nabra'u ilayka mimma yaf'alu ha'ula. O Allah, we declare our innocence. Don't associate us with what they, these types are doing. Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqan warzuqna tiba'a. Wa arina al-baatila baatilan warzuqna ijtinaba. Wala taj'alhu multabisan alayna. Waj'alna lilmuttaqina imama. ربنا وسعت كل شيء رحمة وعلما فاغفر للذين تابوا واتبعوا سبيلك وقهم عذاب الجحيم ربنا وأدخلهم جنات عدن التي وعدتهم ومن صلح من آبائهم وأزواجهم وذرياتهم إنك أنت العزيز الحكيم ربنا صل على محمد وآل محمد وبارك على محمد وآل محمد وصل على إبراهيم وآل إبراهيم وبارك على إبراهيم وآل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر فيها اسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعظكم لعلكم تذكرون ولا ذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون وأقم الصلاة أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حي على الصلاة حي على الفلاح قد قامت الصلاة قد قامت الصلاة الله 